0: So when we left off at of the store of Joseph, he had been betrayed by his brothers, his flesh and blood brothers and his family, and he was sold into slavery. Some Ishmaelites were traveling through and they took advantage of that and they sold him to them as a slave. His own brothers sold him. And then that band of Ishmaelites ended up in Egypt and they, they sold him again. They sold him to a guy in Egypt named Potiphar. And Potiphar was a, a prominent official, he was captain of the guard, he was served Pharaohs in his court, and that's where the story left off last week. And this week we, we jump back into the story, and we're, we're, we're covering three chapters this week, chapter 39, 40, and 41, so go ahead and get, get comfortable. And um, that's why we didn't have a reading today, there's just so much in here, it's just too much to even really read and too much to summarize, but uh, we hope... And I said this last week, and I hope that you're reading the story as we're going through it. We're going to spend four weeks in the story of Joseph, and I hope that you're reading it because it's, it's, it's kind of hard to break it up sometimes. But three chapters here as he begins to serve as a slave in Potiphar's house, and he begins to show this leadership ability that Joseph is known for. We begin to see how, how great he is, we, we begin to see how trusted he is, and, and, and pretty soon, Uh, Potiphar recognizes that and puts Joseph in in charge of his whole household. I mean, he's basically, he's running the whole thing. As as a slave, he's he's running everything, and Potiphar trusts him with everything. And and then this this story, it just continues to add layers of just craziness to it as Potiphar's wife is seducing him. And Joseph shows us this example of what it looks like to abstain, like to to flee temptation literally it 's going to give us that, that kind of example and I was i 've been working through this story all week and i 've been thinking through it all week and I, I literally woke up this morning and remembered something from several years ago with my with my kids, and my kids were really, really young, and Austin, who is off at college now, but he was I think he was like eight or nine years old, and we were doing uh, some kind of family devotion at the time, which is, I don't remember what that was or how we were doing it. I'm sure it was a mess, but I was talking through the story with them. I was talking through the story of Joseph and Potiphar and, and everything that happened. And I said, and you know, Potiphar's wife kept telling him she wanted him to come to bed with her. And and then that one day she grabs him by the the, the, the garment, grabs, grabs him by the shirt and he says no and he takes off running and, and like, she, she ends up with his coat, his, his garment in her hands and so he just runs out of the house naked. I remember Austin looking at me in that moment. He just looked at me and said, Dad, are you making all this stuff up? <laughs> Sometimes it feels like it a little bit, especially with this story. I said, no, no this, is, like, this is really a story. And he goes, well, what did it mean when she kept saying, come to bed with me? I said, Austin, I'm going to tell you that when you're 12, which is, just so you know, that's not a magic number. I was just throwing something out because I didn't want to talk about it in that moment. (laughs) And he goes, okay, I didn't think I wanted to know anyway. (laughs) There's a lot of that in the story. There's a lot, what is going on with this story? Like, What's happening here? And so he flees and then she falsely accuses him of being the one who was seducing, the one who was trying to come after her to attack her. And so uh, Potiphar believes his wife, and he gets angry, and he throws Joseph in prison. And so things have gone from bad to worse in the story as we're following along. He was a slave in this house, uh, sold by his brothers, and now he's falsely accused and wrongly imprisoned in that process. And he's in prison, and and, and you think, well, what's going to happen to him there? And and like, it's crazy because he's such a great leader that it's not very long before he is put in charge of the prison. He's, he's kind of given command by the keeper of the prison, basically says, you run this place, you're such a great leader, you run it. And he's, he's got all these prisoners under his care and he's managing and organizing all the things that Joseph does so, so well. And then the, the story continues and one day, two of the Pharaoh's officials, two of the king's officials get in trouble, they do something wrong and they get thrown in prison. There's the, the, the cupbearer to Pharaoh and the, the baker, and I'm pretty sure the candlestick maker was in there somewhere, he's just not mentioned in the, in the text. But like those guys are thrown in prison, and Joseph begins to be in charge of them and to care for them in his role there. And then one, one night they had, they had a dream. They each had different dreams, and then they were trying to figure out, they were talking about it, they couldn't figure out the interpretation of that dream. And Joseph comes in, and he sees that they're looking upset, they're looking concerned, and he asks them. What's going on? And they said, we have these dreams and we don't know how to interpret them. We don't know what they mean. And Joseph says, well, the God that I serve is the one who interprets dreams. So tell me your dream and and God will interpret them. And so they do. And Joseph gives them their interpretations. Through God's help, of course, he tells them what their dreams were. And he says to the the cupbearer that your dream means that in three days you're gonna be restored to your original position. Pharaoh's gonna bring you back and you're gonna get to be the cupbearer to Pharaoh again. And he's like, man, that's great news. And then said, the baker... Your dream means a little, bit, a little bit something different. It says in three days, what's going to happen is your head's going to be lifted up, but it's going to be on a gallows. Going, Pharaoh's going to put you to death. Not, not such a good dream interpretation. But both those dreams come true exactly like Joseph interpreted them. And Joseph had told the, the cupbearer, hey, when, when you get out and when you're back in Pharaoh's court, will you remember me and tell him about me? And he didn't say that to the baker for obvious reasons, but he (laughs) he said, will you, will you tell Pharaoh? He said, yes, absolutely. In three days he's restored and he forgets. You're like, what? How could this possibly happen? He forgets the whole story. He forgets how he got out. He forgets the dream. He forgets it. He just goes back to serving for another couple of years. Joseph's just left in prison, forgotten. And so this story is just, it's ridiculous. It's from bad to worse to even worse, now forgotten in prison. And so what it, what are we supposed to learn from this? And last week we talked about some, some big picture truths that we really got to em- embrace as we're walking through the details of a story like this. And, and, and one of those big picture truths is that all the Old Testament points us to Jesus, that all the stories in the Old Testament are really just shadows of the ultimate story of what Jesus has accomplished. And we looked at that uh, pretty, pretty clearly with Joseph being this Jesus figure, this this Jesus type in our Old Testament. And we said that, There's a lot of tendency, there's a, there's a temptation to see these stories as moral lessons along the way. Well, let's be like Joseph. Let's do it like Joseph did. Let's, let's do all those different kinds of things. And when you get to chapter 39 and you see how he resists this temptation and you see how he flees from it, you, you know that the New Testament teaches us to flee from temptation. And so you start thinking that that's what this story might be about, that that's, that's what we need to learn from the story, that maybe today's sermon and maybe all of our time really ought to be spent talking about this idea of what we do in the face of temptation and how we flee from it. I don't really think that's, that's what the story's about. I don't think that's, I, that, that's part of the story, but I don't think that's what Moses, as he's writing Genesis, is trying to help us really understand in the story. Because if we're honest, and we look at this as a moral lesson, then you gotta be true to the lesson. You gotta, you gotta teach the lesson the way It's taught in the story if you're gonna use it that way. Does that make sense? If you're gonna use it as a moral lesson, then you gotta teach it the way it's taught in the story. And so I thought, well, if this is a moral lesson and we're gonna be honest to the text and what the story's about, then this is the point that we would make from that story. Here it is, flee from temptation, end up in prison. You like to take notes, write that one down. That's That's the point of the story. Here's what you do, if you flee from temptation, guys, you'll end up in prison, falsely accused. Don't write that down. If you're writing that down, stop. Scratch it out, don't write that down. That's ridiculous. That's like the worst point ever, ever. Most of my sermons are pointless. That one's really, really bad, right? Don't write that down. Take it off of there, David. We don't even need that point up there. That's not what the story's about. You're not using that with your teenagers. And listen, you need to flee from all the temptation that's out there. And you'll probably have to get you out of jail if you do that. You're, that's not going to help anybody. That can't be what the story's about. If you take this as a moral lesson, you've got to be true to it, and that can't be what it's about. So, so what? If it's not just a lesson about fleeing temptation, it's a good illustration of what the New Testament teaches us about fleeing temptation, but it's not, that's not the point of this. What is the point? And I want to read part of it to you guys. We're definitely not going to read all three chapters, but I want to read part of it. And I hope that you'll just keep your Bibles open and kind of look at the text. In 39, starting verse 1, I want to read you something. And and here's what, when you're reading the text, if you see something in the text that keeps getting repeated, it's a clue. It's a clue that maybe this is something that the writer was trying to emphasize. And so as as we read this, 39, 1 through 6, and then we'll skip down a little bit, uh, see if there's something that kind of jumps out at you. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, the officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had, brought, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. He was in the house of his e- Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. And then this thing happens with Potiphar's wife. He gets put in prison. So skip down to verse 20. So just a few chat verses in this story, and I hope that you saw it. I hope that you saw this phrase is repeated at least four times in different ways in this, in this passage, and it's this phrase, the Lord was with Joseph. And if you want to you know what we're supposed to learn from this, you look at something that's repeated like that, and then you just translate it into something that we can grab a hold of, and here's the point. God is with us always. That's what the what story seems to be screaming at us. Joseph is betrayed and sold by his brothers and he ends up as a slave in Egypt. Guess what? God's with him. He's blessing him. He's falsely accused, wrongly imprisoned, and now he's in a, he's in a, he's in a prison as a slave in prison in Egypt. And guess what it says? And the Lord was with Joseph and blessed him there. It's like the writer here, like Moses is writing this, and he just keeps hammering this point that no matter what happens to Joseph, don't lose sight of this truth. God is with us always, and he reminds him over and over and over again, just in this one story. God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph, and it's no secret, right? We need that reminder. You and me, we all need that reminder all the time. This life is not easy. This Christian experience following Christ is not easy. It's not designed to be easy. It's not supposed to be easy. It's gonna be difficult. There's gonna be times when we're wondering where God is and we need that reminder over and over and over and over in our lives that God is with us always. We need that reminder, especially when it doesn't feel like it. I I just, I I can't imagine that, there were many times, maybe even days and weeks and even longer stretches where Joseph wondered if God was still with him. Maybe a lot of moments where he just didn't feel like God was with him anymore. There's all the reasons to not feel that way. Betrayed, sold, slave, prison, forgotten. there has gotta be a lot of times when Joseph was struggling to remember that, doesn't feel like God is still with me. And here's what we do, we cling to the truth, we cling to the promise, we cling to the fact that the Bible tells us over and over, not just in this story, but all throughout the pages of scripture that God is with his people, that God is not distant, he's not removed, he's not cut off, he's actively involved in his people's lives and he's with us always. So Jesus said, he gave us the great commission, go in the world, make disciples of all nations and guess what, I'm gonna be with you always, even to the end, I'll be with you always. The writer of Hebrews, takes what God said to Joshua when he says be strong and courageous don't be afraid for I will be with you always I'll never leave you never forsake he takes that and and gives that to Jesus he says, Jesus is always with us we know that that's true we know that the Bible tells us that we know that's a promise that God has made us but it doesn't always feel like it and so we have to run back to the truth of the promise, even when it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't always look like it either. If you're looking at this story from the outside, and you're trying to figure out if God's with Joseph, you're, you're wondering. And you watch this story develop, and you watch him get betrayed and sold, and then you watch him become a slave, and then he becomes prosperous as a slave, and then he's, he's falsely accused and imprisoned and then forgotten for a couple of years, and you're like, yeah, I don't know if God's with that guy. It doesn't look like it from the outside. It doesn't feel like it from the inside, but it's still true. And so, what do we do with that? Like, what do we do when we don't feel like God is with us because something's really, really difficult and it doesn't even look like it? I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know the best answer. I don't know exactly how to answer that question, but I know this: that we have to figure out ways to look for and search for and identify the evidence that God is with us in our lives. The evidence is all here in this story. Joseph continues to prosper in all these different situations. He's a slave, he becomes the chief slave of the house. He's put in charge of everything, he's so trusted. He's in prison, he becomes the guy in prison that's in charge of the whole prison. Everything that you see is people saying they knew that God was with him and so they knew that God was blessing him and whatever he did prospered. Now, it'd be easy for us to say, or even Joseph to say, well, that's just because I'm so talented. That's just because I'm a good leader. It's because I'm so smart. I know how to manage things and organize things. I'm wired that way. That's my Enneagram number, or whatever. Like, we can just, that's why. Or you can say, no, this is the evidence that God is still with us. Sometimes you have to look hard for it. Sometimes you have to look around, look deep, and you have to wrestle a little bit to remember that God is with you always. Joseph didn't have this, but we have this, and sometimes you need somebody around you that can point it out to you, don't you? You need somebody in your life that when you are in despair and you think, this is all spinning out of control and I think God has left me, that will go, no, 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 no. Remember? And we'll be able to show you the evidence. Open your eyes to it. Now, you're gonna to have to listen to them. You're gonna have to trust them. Sometimes that's the hardest part. But you need people around you that will say, no, God hasn't left you. Maybe the evidence that God hasn't left you is the fact that your church is around you and we are still here. Maybe that's all the evidence that we need. God is with us always. So what is he doing? Well, here's what he's doing with Joseph. In the midst of him being with him, he's he's working through him. And it leads us to this understanding that God will work through us in all circumstances. It does not matter what circumstance you find yourself in, God is with you in that circumstance and he's not just with you, he's not just sitting beside you, he's working through you in that circumstance. Joseph is a slave. What's God doing? working through him to make him so trusted that he's put in charge of the whole house. Joseph is a prisoner, what's God doing? Is he left, up, done, I can't use that guy anymore, now he's in prison, no. As a prisoner, God is working through him to make him in charge of the whole prison under the keeper of the prison. So what we see in the story is that God is working through Joseph in, not just in spite of, but in the circumstances. In the middle of the prison, in the middle of slavery, in the middle of being betrayed and sold and in a foreign land, God is working through him. And what it means is that there's no circumstance where you're apart from God, that you're away from him, you're out of his plan. And we trust him with it. And We, we, we don't say, well, man, my circumstance is so bad that even God can't. That's, that's never true. If it's not true for Joseph, it's not true for us. You can't look at this and go, "Yeah, I'm so far away, and I messed this up so bad that surely not even God can do this now. It's never going to be true." And the story shines as an example for us in that. And the other thing it means is that there's nothing that you can do that's insignificant for the kingdom. I mean, if there's anybody you would say is insignificant, it's the slave over here that's so far from his family, or the prisoner who was wrongly accused, has no hope. And everything in the story screams that God is still using him and he's doing a significant work in his life. And I think you could even say that God is using him as a slave and in prison in the same way that he's about to use him as second in charge of all of Egypt. There's nothing insignificant. So here's what that means for us in the New Testament Christianity that we're living in. It means that God has put you in a church. He wants you to be involved in a church. He wants you to be a member of a church. He wants you to be engaged in a church body. But not just to come and to to spectate, not just to come and sit and to listen and to soak this up. He wants you here to engage and to lean in and to serve the body. He's given you a gift so that you can use it to build up the body of Christ, that's what he wants you to do. And here's what that means, that there's not one single role that you can do in that that's insignificant. There's not one thing that you can give yourself to to help build up the body here that would be a waste of time or not that important. It's all significant because it's how God is working through us in all the circumstances. So if you're on the load-in team, and you come in and you set all this up so that we can have worship service and it can look good. We have screens that work. We have uh, some pipe and drapes to kind of give us a, a feel of a worship. And we have a stage to stand on. All these different kinds of things. And you show up early to do that, and then you stay a little bit later to tear it all down and put it back in a box again. And you start thinking along the way, why in the world are we doing this? Why, man? There's nothing that we can do that's insignificant. It's a part that God has given you to play. And and most of us sit here every week and take it for granted, but it's it's not insignificant. We we have an amazing greeting team. Brian Nevins leads our our greeting team. And uh, the greeting team is here to make people feel welcome when they walk in the door. People walk in the door, they're just checking this out. Here's what they're doing. I'm just guessing, right? They're walking in, they're going, will I be able to meet anybody here? Will I be able to fit in with this group? Are they all like, they all so know each other so well that you can't even break into this group. And they're walking in going, can I connect here? Can I get to know people here? Can I fit in here? Can I belong here? And they're walking in with all that anxiety. And there's our greeting team with a smile, shaking a hand. Hey, what's your name? Is this your first time? Here's a gift may seem insignificant, but it's not. There's nothing insignificant about the roles that we play in order to serve God and build up his body. Somebody walks in, they're like, I don't know if I can get connected here, and they meet one person on the greeting team that's welcoming them, and then they meet somebody else, and you guys, you don't have to be on the greeting team to do this, right? Well, I'm not on the greeting team, so I'm not talking to anybody today. The more welcome we make people feel, it's it's never insignificant to do that. It's always a part of God's plan. You just showing up every week is not insignificant. Just being here and sitting in those seats and standing up and participating and worshiping, we want you to move to service, but you just taking that step and you being faithful to that, there's nothing insignificant about that. I was talk- talking to one of our teenagers, one of our youth this, uh, this week, and I was asking her if she was going to the youth group, and she said she wasn't going to be able to make it this week. And I said, you know, that's, hey, that's fine, but I want you to know that we need you at youth group. I said, most people would tell you that you need to go to youth group, and that's true. You, you need it, but here's what, here's what our youth group needs. Our youth group needs you there. There's someone there that needs to be a friend with you that doesn't know anybody. Somebody there needs to connect with somebody else. Somebody there needs to see that you are there and you're still chasing after Jesus and you're still following him all these months after camp. And sometimes just showing up is the significant way that God is working through us in all our circumstances. You can drive a van for the youth group and that's that's not insignificant. If it's your van, it's definitely not insignificant. You make a meal for somebody that's in need in our church body, it feels like no big deal. It's the work of God. He's working through you in all circumstances. Fill these juice cups. We had some really young kids helping out with our Lord's Supper team, filling up the juice cups, and it seemed like, well, if those little kids can do it, well, no, that's a big deal. It's part of the process. It's part of what God is doing, how He's using our bodies. Cutting up tortillas, because if you're new here, we use tortillas in our Lord's Supper because Texas and it was, it's just trying to be contextual, you know, fit into the culture. And cutting those up, and fill, I mean, none of it's insignificant. God is working through us in all circumstances, every single one. But what is he doing? Well, finally we get to chapter 41. And chapter 41 is one that, man, it is so easy to get, get it a little bit wrong. Because in chapter 41, Joseph's still in prison, and then Pharaoh himself has a couple of dreams. And he gets all of his wise people around him, and they, nobody can interpret the dream. And then the, the cupbearer hears the conversation that's going on, and he has one of those... Uh, biblical my bad moments. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, my bad. I forgot about the guy that can interpret the dreams. I told him I would remember and I didn't. He has this my bad moment. They're all throughout the Bible. Adam and Eve, oh, my bad. Like Cain, my bad. Like there's my bad moments all throughout. And he goes, "I, I was supposed to remember this guy. There's a Hebrew guy in the prison and he can interpret dreams. So they get him out of prison and he stands before Pharaoh and Pharaoh says, I had these two different dreams and Joseph says, oh, they're the same dream. Here's what's gonna happen. God is interpreting this dream through him. He gives all the credit to God, of course, and he says, there's gonna be seven years of plenty and abundance and harvest and it's gonna be followed by seven years of famine. And so Joseph says, here's what you need to do, Pharaoh. Put somebody in charge that can organize and manage this stuff and you need to save as much food as you can in the seven years of plenty and then when the seven years of famine come, you won't run out. And Pharaoh looks at him in that moment and says, hey guys, y'all ever, y'all ever talk to anybody smarter than this guy? He, he got a plan. Any reason why we wouldn't put him in charge? And then they do. They, Pharaoh puts him in charge, second in the kingdom. You're gonna be in charge of this whole plan, this whole process of saving the food, distributing the food, uh, everybody's gonna do whatever you say. Now here's what we do with that story. We look at that story and we go, finally there's a payoff. He suffered all that, and he finally gets the power. He finally gets prominence. He finally gets his redemption. He's finally there. But that may be missing the point of this. Because we don't talk about this much, but if you if you think about it, do you remember this? Like, he's still a slave. The evidence that he's not free is all there. Pharaoh tells him what he's going to do, and he's going to do it. Pharaoh changes his name. In the Bible, when God changes your name, that's a good thing. When a pagan king changes your name, it's never a good thing. Changes his name, gives him a new name, gives him a new wardrobe, gives him a wife that's in violation of what God had said. Joseph doesn't have freedom in that moment. He has power, he has authority, but he's still in the wrong land, serving the wrong king, cut off from his family with no freedom. And so I think that there's something bigger here at store. I I think you could say it this way, that God sent Joseph to Egypt, we know that from last week. He sent Joseph to Egypt But it wasn't so that eventually Joseph could rise to power and have influence and wealth. No, God was doing something bigger. God sent Joseph to Egypt so that God could save his people. In the short term, he's going to save Jacob and his brothers. We're going to see that next week. In the long term, he's saving his people by preserving his people, by saving the line that is going to come from Judah, the lion of Judah, who's going to come from that tribe eventually to save the whole world. God is orchestrating all these events. He sent Joseph to save his people and to save the world. I want you to see this. In, verse, in chapter 41, verses 56 and 57, So, says, when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Verse 57 of chapter 41, moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. God made a promise to Abraham, I'm going to bless you and then through you I'm going to bless all the nations. And God's just coming through on his promise again. Everybody in the earth that's... Subject to this famine that's affected by this famine, they all come to Egypt and they all buy food from Joseph and Joseph saves them all. And so there's a bigger picture here. God will work through us in all circumstances and God will work through us to accomplish his purposes. If you're taking notes and you write that down, circle his, underline his, write it in all caps, God will work through us to accomplish his purposes. that's what the story seems to be about God's orchestrating all these events in Joseph's life not for Joseph's sake but he's doing it to accomplish God's big picture agenda and purpose it wasn't about Joseph and guess what it's not about us It's not about you and me, and that's why it's, we we really shouldn't look at this story as if it's a story telling us how we should live. It's not about us. We should look at the story and see what God is doing to accomplish His purposes in the life of Joseph, and then we should lean into that and remember that God is working in our circumstances and working through us, not necessarily because it's about us, but ultimately to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. Guys, that's how what we talked about last week begins to really make sense practically for us. Last week we talked about this truth that our obedience doesn't come with any guarantees. Such an encouraging thought that you can be obedient and none of it work out. That doesn't make sense if you think this is all about you. That will never make sense to people, and that's what we tend to do all the time. We think this is all about us all the time. This is our story. We're the hero. If you have that view, then your obedience should work out. God should owe you a reward for your obedience. But if our obedience doesn't come with a guarantee, the only way that makes make sense is if you understand this is ultimately not about you and not about me. It's about God accomplishing His purposes through me. And which means that sometimes his purpose is to continue to allow that pain and that trial and that suffering to go on. And I don't don't have an answer for that. I don't know why, but he does. And if I understand that it's not about me, it's about him and his purpose ultimately, then I can understand why my obedience doesn't have a guarantee. I can understand why sometimes God's plan for his people is suffering and pain. I can only understand that if I understand it's not about me. And then all of a sudden Romans 8.28 begins to make a lot of sense to us. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And it's really easy for us to read that verse and insert the word my there or our. God works all things together for my good, but it doesn't say that. It just says good. Because it's always about his purpose. Ultimately, it's about His purpose. God's working all the circumstances in our lives out for good according to His purpose. But there's still good news in it. The good news in all this is that we know that God is good. We don't have to wonder about that. We know that He's good to us. He forever settled that question when He sent His Son, Jesus, to die in our place on the cross, to take the punishment that you and I should have had to take. Jesus took our place, he took that on himself to make a way where there was no way, to bring us back into a right relationship with God when we had rebelled against him and we had completely walked away from him and said we didn't need him. God pursued us, tracked us down and sent his son to die for us. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, God demonstrates his love by sending Jesus to die for us. So we don't have to wonder if God's good and we don't have to wonder if God's good to us. So we can know that God's working all things out for good according to His purpose, and in the end result, it'll be good. It'll be good for us. It may not feel like it every day. It may not look like it from the outside, but it's true. And the proof that you see in this text with Joseph is when he has two sons and he names them, He names them he, he gives them Hebrew names. Which means that even though he was sold into slavery at 17 years old, and he spent at least about 20 years of his life now in Egypt, he still considers himself a Hebrew. He still thinks that he's living in the land of exile. And he gives his kids these interesting names, Manasseh. He says, that name basically meant God has allowed me to forget. And he says, I named him Manasseh because God has allowed me to forget All the hardship I experienced in my family, which is foreshadowing that God has set his heart up to forgive his brothers. And then he names his other kid Ephraim. And Ephraim means, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. And that's good. Joseph still sees Egypt, even though he's in power now, as the land of his affliction, because it's not about him But he says, God has made me fruitful. God has accomplished his purpose in my life in the land of my affliction. So he names his child that as a testimony to that truth. That it may not feel like it every day. It may be really, really difficult right now. But you know that God is with you always. He's not just with you. He's working in you, through you, no matter what the circumstance. And he's working in you and through you to accomplish his purposes. And his purposes are always, always good. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love for us and thank you for the truth of your word, the reminders that we need as we open it week out, week in and week out. And we we need that reminder that you're with us. This has been a really hard week for some of us in here. There's some things we don't understand, but we need that truth to, to, to guide us through it, that you are with us, even when it doesn't feel like it or look like it. And we need the truth that you're working in us in spite of the circumstances, in the middle of those circumstances, and you're working in us, through us, to accomplish your purposes. Some of those we don't even see yet, but we're gonna, we're gonna rest in and lean in and embrace that truth. God, help us to worship you in response to that. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.